You hear me say it a lot around here, from this spot, we will touch the world. And I've been talking to you about First Generation Church for the last couple weeks. This is actually the third week. And God has really dealt with me about the importance of first. You know, since pa uh, Parker is 19, our oldest son, by the way, he made the dean's list at college. That's awesome. Proud of him. He wouldn't tell me. I found out a week later after he got the thing home, he wouldn't even tell me. So, so hilarious kids today. Amen. Uh, so, you know, he's just an amazing young man. So is Pierce. And, and uh, man, when Parker turned 18, it's going to just kind of hit me. It's like he's legal, you know, when they're 18, they're legal, right? And so I look at our church and we just celebrate our 18th anniversary, being a first generation church. And I said, wow, we're legal. You know, a lot of people would pull on this property and actually that shows you how crazy your pastor is. It's going to be a 43,000 square feet by foot building. By the time we dug within a matter of months, it turned into a 52,000 square foot building. But that's just the way we go around here, right? It's the way we roll around here. And, you know, being a first generation church and looking at Parker, like when he turned 18, a lot of people pull on this property and think we're a second or a third or a fourth generation church. They'd say, well, you know, why don't they have this? And why isn't this going on? And why isn't that going on? But God really said, son, I want you to get across to the people the significance of being first. It's like I had shared with you about, you know, we don't really remember the second uh, African-American baseball player, Major League Baseball player. It, you know, I didn't. I had to look it up. His name's Larry Dobby, Dobby, and he's no less significant than the one that anyone knows anything about baseball knows who the first African-American uh, Major League Baseball player is, is Jackie Robinson. And we, they wear his number every year. They don't wear the number two guy's number, the number three, the number four guy's number every year in Major League Baseball to share that. We talked about... You know, who was the first to the moon? We, we know who that is. But the second person to the moon was uh, Pete Conrad and Alan Bean. And so who, who would even think But they were the second lunar launch? A lot of you older might remember that. I was around then, but I was about eight or nine or ten or something, so I don't really remember it. But I do know Neil Armstrong was the first one to walk on the moon. So first is significant. And it's important to understand when you are a part of something first, not to get up to caught up in processes and problems and methods and styles, but to remember the purpose for which we exist. You know, God told us the, the first mission statement we had was building life together. And that's what this is about. And then it turned, evolved into the four B's. Bethel is a place where we belong, where we're loved and accepted as we are, not as we should be. Bethel is a place where we believe in Jesus and his word. Bethel is a place where we become who God designed us to be. Bethel is a place where we build the kingdom together. You see, if we're going to truly build life as sons and daughters of God, it's about building the kingdom of God. I kicked off with you last week in the book of Acts a, a couple weeks ago and talked to you that, about the significance of first. And Jesus said it actually in Matthew 16, verse 18, when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So the church is not ours. The church is our Savior's Jesus 
Christ. He is the one that came to establish the kingdom of God in the earth and in it, the best means and the best ministry that he had to leave on this earth was church planting. And God runs things through his church. Now, it's important we as churches understand the pattern. And God gives us the pattern in the book of Acts of how to, the church is to operate and how it's to function and run. And in other letters of, of the epistles and so on. But the book of Acts gives you a pattern. Because Luke, the author of the book of Acts, as well as the gospel of Luke, who shadowed Paul and Peter and those guys, he, he made it very clear in Acts 1, 1, that he was writing about all that Jesus both began to do and to teach. He didn't say teach and to do, right? He said to do and to teach. And what he was talking about there is that the first step of any pattern after God is not just to teach something. Je Jesus would perform a miracle and then he would teach about it. He would do things and love people and show examples and then he would teach about it. You see, so many churches today, we don't pattern ourselves properly after the true church of Jesus Christ. And, and that is that we're here to do. He gave us a commission, a commandment, a, a mission. That's what this thing is all about. He told us in Acts 1 5 that he was going to leave the promise with us, right? The promise of the Holy Spirit that, that others were baptized with water, but you will be baptized with fire. And God had an intentional purpose for us to be baptized with fire, to be covered, to be strong, to be endued with power. And then he repeats the final words of Jesus Christ on this planet was Acts 1-8 when he said that in Acts 1-8 that he would, uh, that see, I know it by heart, but he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be endued with power, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, what's significant about each of those areas Jesus talked about each region, Jerusalem, and he said most of Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world, had very different cultures and dynamics going on, and races of people, Samaritans, and a mixture of people. And so God told Steph and I when we came here to plant the church that it would be a church of the Gentiles, that it'd be a church that was multicultural, it'd be, be multiracial, be people from different educational backgrounds, professions, people from all matter of life. He said that it would be much like, he said it would be much like a, uh, a, a UK game. When you go to a UK game and you'd look in the gymnasium, it would be much like that. So Mark's just fixing me up here. Okay. Good, good servant. Amen. And yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. Okay. I got you. So he established his work. He established his pattern. And you and I are here today as part of his mission. We're here today to storm the gates of hell, to not back up, to not let down. We're here to push forward. And being a first generational church, it's very important that we understand our role and how the family of God works and how the family of God operates. You know, uh, I talked to you about See, how can I get into this with you? Because I want to get into another thing with you. And I'm just thinking out loud. I'm, uh, 
Oh, let's just go for it. Amen. When I, when I, this is some of my personal notes. These notes are years old and I just kind of retyped them and printed them for you. But about, about a little over five years ago, maybe six years ago, I was, had been battling depression for a couple years and didn't even know what it really was. I mean, you couldn't tell me, guy of faith is battling depression, battling insecurity, performance trap, the whole deal. And God began to reveal some things to me. And finally, my wife said, there's something going on here, honey. You just, you just battling something. And we prayed about it for a while and all those things. And then, and then I got some counseling from a friend and, and he gave me this thing to do and it just transformed my life. And, and, and I wanna share it with you today because I believe so many fathers and so many men battle the same things I was battling about six, well, really about seven, eight years ago, but I dealt with it about six years ago. And I believe if we can get fathers right in the church, we'll get the pattern of the book of Acts right because God wants us to plant healthy, strong churches that resemble him, that resemble the kingdom. And, and, and I'd already been wrestling with this whole father identity thing because my dad died when I was three months old with cancer. And we had, a, my mom had a lot of kids, I had a lot of siblings, and then I had a wonderful, amazing stepfather. And he was killed in a few years in a, when I was 13. He, they were married a few years, but when I was 13, he was killed in a mine explosion and coal mining explosion. And, and so, you know, I had an amazing mom that was just a role model, a hard worker and loved me unconditionally and was ultimate grace to me. And really this depression kind of started about the time the economy crashed and my mom passed away all in the same like month. And it was a real challenge. And, and as I was fighting through that, I would use my normal things that I would fight. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna get in the word. And I did those things and, and stand to believe and step out in faith. But what I came to realize, I just kept hitting a wall. You know, we just think that God is gonna move every barrier out of our way. Well, he gave us the Holy Spirit, the Acts 1.8, and it talks about it being a dunamis. The Greek word is dunamis, dunamis power. The word dunamis is broken up into two meanings in the Greek language. One is power like a dynamo or dynamite. It annihilates, it breaks up, it explodes, it clears out. The other meaning is, is uh, dynamo. It's a dynamic. It's a transference of power. How we take water and turn it into steam or coal and turn it into steam and produce electricity. So I want you to realize that the Holy Spirit can break down strongholds, annihilate strongholds, but it can also transfer power and bring you to another level of intimacy and strength in God. And I came to the realization that, you know, sometimes you don't always just go blow things up. You don't always just put your faith out there, man, and just, this has got to be annihilated out of my way. I'm going to walk through, you know, like at the end of the movie when they walk through and the building's burning and crashing and they're walking through like they just want everything, right? And, and you kind of feel like that as a man sometimes and especially as a pastor. You see, I'm a first-generation pastor. Steph is a first-generation pastor. No one was ever pastors in our family. No one, you know, we were mentored and trained, but we're still first-generation in our family. Just like this is a first-generational church. And I think what our nation is missing, and I know what the body of Christ is missing, is an understanding of the father principle or the father role. 
Whenever we truly get an understanding of the Father and what that role is in our life, then we can truly be a multi-generational church. Because God said, I want you in this generation to raise up a church and set a standard. I want you to set a standard of my anointing, my power, my presence, and, and how to win the lost and disciple them. I want you to set a standard of living debt-free and being debt-free and handing it off to the next generation debt-free. And there were certain specific things that God gave us, and I used to talk about them all the time when we were younger as a church, and those things are all good, but if we miss this one principle, the Father principle, we miss everything. And me, where I was dealing with Father issues. Where, where I was dealing with father issues and didn't even realize it because I've been a pretty secure person and so on. And I found myself just kind of in the dumps and in this pressure, not understanding why my faith didn't seem to be breaking the strongholds of worry and fear and anxiety off of my life. And I did realize that the picture that I once had of God, I always had a picture of him as Lord, Savior, King of Kings, mighty God, you know, he's the most powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and so on. And that's the way I served him as Lord and Savior. But I didn't understand him as Daddy. You know, the word Abba Jesus talked about is a comes from a Latin root word, and it, Abba is Abba, and it actually means Daddy. Die if you translated it in English. And Jesus would go, Abba, Father. He would go, Dada, Papa. Daddy, Papa. And when we get to the place to where we can be intimate with our Heavenly Father and move beyond our own insecurities, our own agendas, and come to the understanding that we are in this thing for Him and not for ourselves, and we're in this thing for others and not for ourselves, and begin to translate that in 1 John 4, it says, He first loved us. You see, I'd spent my entire life, when I gave my life to Christ at 21, I'd spent my entire journey trying to show him how much I loved him. Trying to pray more, serve more, commit more, die more, give more, do more, constantly trying to, you know, equating that with being closer. Just like with my coaches in high school, whether it's basketball or baseball, I wanted to perform well, I wanted to work hard, I wanted their approval. It went my employers in my early life and when I was in business, it's it like I wanted people to approve me and I would, I would go overboard and show them that I could get it done, I could do it, I was worthy for whatever position I had. And, and I took that into the kingdom with me. And, and, and later on, here it is, years later, almost 20 years later in my ministry, when I finally discovered this chink in the armor that I had, and it was really wearing me down. And most men today, you know, you can look strong and you can look tough, but really inside you're still that little boy wanting approval. Most men today are still struggling with similar things and the same things. And we feel we're the protector, we're the provider. And I'm not putting moms down. I'm not putting professional ladies down. I mean, Steph, she works. I, she's a professional. She's a leader. She's a minister. I'm not putting down stay-at-home moms. It's a, it's a gift that we need in this body as well. I'm not, no, no. I'm just telling you, I'm talking to you today about fathers. I'm talking to you about fathers and potential fathers, you that will be someday. And as I was going through this struggle, 
my friend said, you know what? He says, once you write that, what, what are you feeling? What do you feel toward God? And I was like, oh man, I, I'm not saying what I feel toward God. I mean, I don't want to be struck by lightning. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm, I don't, I can't even put words to it. He said, well, just write down some of the things you're feeling. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know. It scared me. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. He said, no, write them down. And so I wrote a few of the statements down, and, and then he said, but when you do, write the answer out, what you believe the Word of God says about it, and begin to get it in your heart and mind. You see, until you really confess your sin, you're not really forgiven. That doesn't mean you have to confess it to me, but until you speak it out and repent of it, that means to change your mind, your direction, your behavior, to change the direction you were going and what you were focusing on. Now... The things that I wrote down here, I'm going to be real transparent with you. You go, man, that was a pastor and he wrote that stuff. Maybe I'm not so bad after all, or maybe I'm in a crazy church and need to go somewhere else. That's your choice. But, but you can't say I lied to you. I'm just, just telling you the truth. Amen. So I wrote some of these questions. I'm going to read a few of the questions. I got 12 or 14 and we don't have time. But then I'm going to read a little letter that, I, that God wrote to me. I'm getting emotional. Because I think men need to know this. I mean, I boxed. I traveled in different states and boxed. I played sports. I totaled three cars and partied out two colleges before I was 21. I've owned, been partners in coal mines. I've had lots of money and went broke. And I, I know all that stuff. So if you want to talk about being a man, we can talk. I used to be a drag racer, IHRA, and I traveled and raced in Bristol, and 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 we raced in, in, in national trails in Columbus, Ohio. I can talk with you about cars. I can talk with you about fighting. I'm not that good of a Hunter, but I can talk to you about a lot of things. I, I, but let me tell you something. The most important thing I can talk to you about is what I'm getting ready to talk to you about here over the next few minutes. Because if you men will get this, and this will help you ladies understand your man a little better. So the first statement I made to God and I mean, I was shaken. I literally thought I'm going to get hit by lightning. I, I'm going to be... I'm, they won't even know that I existed. I'll just be a blot. But see, God doesn't want that relationship. I don't want that relationship with my sons. I, I want to, I, I like having a relationship where they can be truthful with me, where they can be transparent with me. And God wants the same thing. So here's the first thing I wrote. Not trusting God to be there for me meeting my needs. God, you're, you're not meeting my needs. I, I don't trust you like I used to when I used to speak and believe the heavens opened and the waters parted and we did this and we did that. And, you know, we sowed a $5,000 seed when we left World Harvest to come here. And within a year, we had over a $500,000 income as a church and it never went under that. I mean, I can say we moved into this building, not me, all of us together. Before our sixth anniversary, he had given a million dollars away to missions and had already planted two churches in Kiev, one in Kiev, Ukraine, and uh, uh, one in Hyderabad, India, actually three, another two in India, and one in Eastern Kentucky. We had planted five churches, counting this one, before our sixth anniversary, and many of you were part of that and moved into this facility, whoever does it. So I, I'd had a few wins in my life and I was feeling pretty good about myself until my real self showed up. Yeah, okay. And when some real tough times hit, not just for a month, but for a number of years. Finally, I'm just like, God, I, I, I don't think I can trust you to meet my needs. And you can look at me all 
awkwardly and funny if you want to, but you probably just said it in a different way or didn't have the guts to say it. You just pouted at God. But at least I finally did get the nerve to say it. Then I began to look scriptures up while I was crying and I'm like, I gotta answer this for me. One of the scriptures I came up with was Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be God the Father, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, it's impossible. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Now, I've got even a little more intimate in this little one-page letter that God wrote to me. The second thing that, that, that I wrote down was this. Feeling, I'm feeling that God is not wooing me or drawing me to be close to him, that he's not even really reaching out, drawing me, that he's not pulling me to be close to him. Then I had to research it and pray about it and take time with it. Yeah, I could give them quick answers. So the reverse to that question for me that I had to answer is that God desires intimacy and is always wooing me into his presence. He's always focused on me. He's always calling me. The question is, what do I let get in the way? What am I allowing to keep me from that intimacy with God? Jeremiah 33, 3, this is a scripture that, uh, that God woke me up in the middle of the night to pray. And I don't have time to tell the whole story. I went down to pray. We were believing for divine encounters that year. And, and I, about three and about four in the morning, I was up praying and crying down in the family room and I come back up to go to bed and I look up and God said, look at the clock. It's a digital clock, a, a red face, with red numbers on it. And I'm like, God, I don't need to look at that clock. I got up at four in the morning. You called me to get up at four in the morning to go downstairs and pray. I got a full schedule tomorrow. He said, look at the clock. And I looked at the clock and it said, three, three, three. He said, now read Jeremiah three, 33, three of me. And so I did. And here's what Jeremiah 33, 3 said. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Oh, okay, Lord. Another translation says in the Amplified, Call me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things fenced in and hidden which you do not know. Do not distinguish or recognize, have knowledge of or understand. We, we think God doesn't care. We think God doesn't know us. Here, here's one of my favorite ones out of the message. This is God's message. The God who made earth, made it livable and lasting, known everywhere as God. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. See, when I began to get transparent with God, he found ways to get through. And I, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm still on this journey with you. I mean, I still have to go back to these things. I still have to believe for things, for interventions. I believe these just divine interventions into my life, just like you do. Third thing is uh, that I'd said is God is distant and absent. 
God, I just feel like you're distant from me. I, I just feel like you're absent. I don't feel like you're involved in my life. Man, you believe you, you, a pastor is saying these things? And, and what, God, what I wrote down was, God will never leave or forsake me. God will never leave or forsake me. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I mean, this is letters from a pastor, letters that, that's having father issues and significant issues that I didn't even know I had. I mean, it took a process for me to not only admit it, but to even realize I had it. And, and I think over 90% of the men, probably 95% of the men in this nation, I don't care what level they are, have some sort of father issue that we're dealing with. See, there's several here. Let me get a good one here, and then I want to go to this letter. Okay, here you go. Here's another one to God. God, you're just giving me just enough. God is just giving me just enough of him to get the job done so I can do more. In other words, God, you just give me enough to get the job done so I can do something else for you. And then my answer back was to myself, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Also, 1 John 5, 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Is this helping you or am I boring you? I mean, I, I'm just, these are like my own personal diary stuff here. And then that's what I wrote down. The spirit of the Lord is, on, is in me for my sake, but he's on me for the sake of others. You know, when we realize it's not about us. When Jesus was asked, what's my greatest command? When he was asked, what's the Lord's greatest command? He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's tough sometimes loving other people because we love ourselves pretty well, right? Even if we say we don't. Let me see here if, if I have time. What, what time is it? Do I have time to give him another one or not? Before I get in. Okay. I feel like everything's riding on whether I succeed or not, God. I feel the performance pressure. I feel like it's all riding on me. Anybody else ever feel like that, guys? You ever feel like that? Raising your family, dealing with your job, your career? God gave me this scripture. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the NLT says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will and all you do and he will show you which path to take Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 in the message I love this trust God from the bottom of your heart don't try to figure out everything on your own listen for God's voice in everything you do everywhere you go he is the one that will keep you on track Fear of being judged poorly, therefore losing favor and respect and not 
and not knowing how I would respond to that. Not knowing how I'd respond if I lost my reputation. Not knowing, because that's, you know, you got to watch about even having pride in the fact that you feel you have a decent reputation. And God gave me Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trust in the Lord means safety. Man, when you fear your creditors, your employers, your people that you serve in your business, if you own it, when you fear, fear the customer, whatever it is you're fearing, that's not of God. I got so many more, but I, I don't have time to read them to you. So then out of that, I came up with about 12 questions and answered them. And, and then I was challenged to write a letter from God to me and put scripture with it. And it's a very simple letter. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it, the letter. And then I'm going to read to you the, script, the, the letter with the scripture. You'll understand in a minute. This is from God to me after I went through this and kind of chewed on this for a day or so. Dear Marion, I am your Abba Daddy. I am your Abba Daddy and I celebrate you every day. I love you and nothing you... Nothing can change my love for you. Do not be condemned. Never fear anyone or anything. Always trust in me. My grace is sufficient for you. And I and all I have is yours. I'm always here for you. I have given you faith to accomplish my mission. And you know, to you it's simple, but there's times I gotta get up in the morning and pull that out and read it to myself. Because I like to hear what God's saying to me. Amen. Now I'm going to read it to you with, with Scripture. But I'm not even going to give you the, where the references are. They can have it up there. But the Scripture that goes with it. So I'll read you the letter. Dear Mary, I'm your Abba Daddy. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you, know, you are no longer a slave but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And I celebrate you every day. For this son of mine, Marion, was dead and is now alive again. And he was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. I love you. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. And nothing can change my love for you. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do not be condemned. Do not be condemned. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Never fear anything or anyone. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trust in the Lord means safety. Then he said to me, I, he said, always trust in me. Always trust in me. And then trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Because you have nothing to prove. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. My grace is sufficient for you. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For if by one man's offense, death reigned the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And he said to me, he said, and all I have is yours. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. I'm always here for you. This is God's message. The God who made heaven, the God who made earth, made it livable and lasting, known everywhere as God. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you can never figure out on your own. He said, I've given you faith. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. To accomplish my mission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. That's just my little letter between me and God. Sometimes I don't pull it out for months. Then sometimes I got to pull it out every day for weeks. But I just got to read it to myself. Because I've learned that as much as people love me and I love them, I can't depend on people. I can't even depend on Pastor Steph. I can't depend on my boys. I can't depend on anyone else to make me happy. I have to make that decision. And that's between me and God. And I have to be like Paul and be content in all my ways. You see, when we come to that place, guys, we overcome that performance trap. We overcome that fear of failing, that fear of the enemy thinking he's going to ruin our reputation or hurt us in some way or hurt our children in some way. We come to a place of walking in strength and walking in power. You see, we are the first generation Bethel. We are the generation that sets the standard for our sons and our daughters, our children and our grandchildren. I mean, we just kicked off our college ministry two Sunday nights ago, and we've had right at 50 both Sunday nights. And we've been believing for a while for that. And our student ministry is growing, and our children's, Pastor Steph's out there overseeing our children's right now, and it's growing. I mean, God's doing a lot of cool stuff. 
And I think about the worship team, how it's growing, and what Pastor Rory's doing, and all the connect groups with Pastor Mark and everything that's going on. I mean, God's doing so many great things, but we got to realize it's not about the process, and it's not even really about the problems. It's about who are we focusing on, and how do we know that we're the beloved of God, that we're accepted no matter what? He'll never leave us or forsake us if we'll just give it all to him. So what I like to do, and I know maybe this has not been that emotional for you or whatever, but I, I'd like all the fathers to stand. I want to pray over you. And is Rory in here? Yeah, Rory, can you come up here and sing Good, Good Father for me? Because I really believe, man, as we get this revelation, because this is what I always would say God is a good father. I would always speak it. But it just took some time for it to really get down in my spirit. I had to start confessing it until I believed it. And to realize that when events happen in my life and things happen in my life, that, you know what, in my weakest times, I'm really the strongest because that's when I got to depend on Him. And that no matter what happens in my life, God, you know, Jesus was asked, and he said this in, in John's gospel, what he say? He said, Satan comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to give life and to give life more abundantly. And I call it the John 10, 10 line. I just made up my line, devil bad, God good. And when I don't know how to explain it, I just know the devil's bad and God's good. And the reason God established his first church, what? He established his first church, Jesus said, to annihilate the kingdom of hell. We're here to annihilate the kingdom of hell. But if we're fighting our own demons and fighting ourselves and fighting others and fighting stupid stuff that's not eternal and don't really matter, then what happens is we're missing out on the purpose that Jesus came to this earth to establish his father's kingdom. The Bible start, Acts starts out in Acts 1-3 about the purpose of, of, of the king, purpose of Jesus coming was to establish the kingdom of God. And it goes all the way through the book of Acts till the final chapter in 28 about establishing the kingdom of God. We're here to establish the kingdom of God, but we're here to be loved unconditionally, just the way we are, not the way we should be while we're on this journey. We are in a war. It's like fighting hell with water pistols. We're fighting hell with trust and with faith, but it's greater than that. It's like dynamite. It's like a nuclear bomb if we'll operate through love and faith and trust. If we'll just operate in knowing and trusting Him, it can change everything.